0: we made for I'm human I can do human stuff I you know walk and uh, breathe and think and my heart beats and my eyes blink and my lungs breathe and I don't even think about it right um, and oh by the way I like to eat does anybody else like to eat yeah that's a good thing to do I'm glad god gave us taste buds you know and people from all over the world to cook different kinds of foods for me to enjoy But what do you really enjoy? What is it about life that really makes you come alive? What's your passion? What's your purpose? What are you really made for? I mean, beyond just simply living, right? You know, we get in the routine of we go to church on Sunday, We do our stuff on Sunday evening to get ready for the week. We get up on Monday, try not to dread it too much. We do our stuff on Tuesday and on Wednesday and on Thursday and on Friday and on Saturday. And repeat, right? Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. And I don't know about you, if you don't come to church, your whole week kind of feels a little off. But if we're not careful, our life just goes on repeat. And we don't live with purpose. And conviction. So if I were to ask you to finish the sentence... I feel most alive when I dot, 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 ellipsis. I feel most alive when I create stuff. I love to bake. I love to write. I love to do music, write music, perform music. Maybe it's I feel most alive when I have a new insight, something new that I've learned, something new that I'm exploring, when I'm reading, when I'm studying, when I'm learning. Maybe it's, I feel most alive when I get to teach others or train others or show them how to do something and see their eyes open as, ah, I can do this too. Maybe you feel most alive when you do something visceral, you know, skiing or running or riding a bike or lifting weights. Maybe you feel most alive when you give because you just love to give. And something about giving, when no matter what type of giving it is, you're like, yes. Maybe you feel most alive when you're around people, new people or people that you've known forever and you're visiting with them and you're sharing life together. And it just those are the things you look forward to. Maybe it's just sitting around your table with family or friends and visiting. Some of us might feel most alive when we're in crisis or conflict because everything's happening so fast. And it's like, yes, the adrenaline's up and you're just in the moment and you're taking care of business. On the other side, some of us might feel most alive when we're taking it easy, caring for others, whether it's our child or family member or friend in need. Maybe it's when you're at church. Something about being here in this space with these people we call our church family, when we sing together, when we serve together, when we do something like this day of resurrection, our Easter pageant together, you feel most alive because you're like, yes, this is what I was made for. These things whether we realize it or not, passion, purpose, being alive, feeling like we matter, we belong, that we're loved, it's our nature. God made us that way. And remember God made you and there's the only you are the only you there is. So God made you for a unique purpose with unique insights. Unique giftedness, unique talents, unique personality, no matter what the world says about you, no matter what others try to make you think about yourself, God made you. and Isn't that amazing? He made you for a purpose. He made you for a passion because he loves you. And all part of it comes with serving others. That God made us for relationships. He made us to be in relationship with Him. He made us to be in relationships with one another. And sometimes uh, those relationships get on our nerves and rub us the wrong way. But it's all divine. It's all supernatural. And God intends it for His purpose to make us into the image of Christ. So our goal today in our sermon is for us to consider this next step. And this next step today is start serving. Every next step, remember, is about clearly calling Christ followers to obedience, clearly calling Christ followers to obedience. We want to say, hey, if you haven't trusted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, this is the first thing you need to do, and then the next thing, and so on and so forth. But today, our goal, however, is not so much to fill roles as it is to celebrate how God's made you and ask you to consider, could you serve in a way that would help you find your passion and your purpose? Our scripture memory verse for the month reminds us of who we are in Christ and who he calls us to be in relation to one another. So let's read it together. Romans 12.10, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves, Romans 12.10. Pray with me. Our Father in heaven, as we come before you this morning and we open your word and we expect to hear something from you. We trust that you're going to speak to us. Even this idea of being devoted to others. Honoring others. These are exercises of the love that you've given of us. Towards others. Behind it is this otherish idea. That's God powered. And it's self-sacrificing. And other focused. That who we are. Is in Christ. And how we live is in Christ. Our passions, our purposes, the things we do flow from who we are. So, Father, as we consider clearly calling Christ followers to obedience, would be, we be the ones that say, yes, Lord, will obey. It's in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, let's review our next steps, because this is the sixth one, right? Our first next step is to follow Jesus, and simply that means to trust Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, that you realize that you are a sinner and that you need salvation to save you from the eternal punishment that is hell, from the sin that you personally have committed. Now, follow Jesus has a deeper meaning as well. That is the ongoing relationship with walking after Jesus as his disciple, his apprentice, A Christ follower. The second thing you need to do after you follow Jesus is get baptized. Get baptized. We don't make a big deal of this because Baptist is in our name, but because baptism is in the Bible. Baptism is in the Bible as a first step of obedience after you've trusted Christ as your personal Savior and Lord. Not something your parents do to you when you're a certain age, but something that you choose to do when you have believed Jesus personally as your own Lord and Savior. You get baptized by immersion in the manner that Jesus was baptized. The third step is to invite others. Invite others into relationship with you. You've got a relationship with Jesus. You want to tell them about that. Invite others into a relationship or to consider a relationship with Jesus. Invite others to our church so that they might be a part of this great body and say, hey, man, these are some nice folks and Okay, I've got to learn more about the Bible that they're studying here, but they're on to something here. And remember, we've got our board out there across from the water fountains with the Hello, My Name Is stickers. And you can still write the name of somebody you want to invite into a relationship. You want to invite to consider Jesus. And you want to invite to our church, and we'll pray for those names. So anytime you walk by those, I know you're probably on the way to the restroom or to get a drink out of the water fountain. Pick out one of those names in a certain handwriting written in a certain color and pray for that person. I want to see what God will do when we pray for people by name, even on the bulletin board across from the water fountain. The fourth next step is belong together. Belong together is about relationships. And we want you at minimum to belong to a Sunday school class or a small group so that you're in relationship with people. But remember, it goes beyond Sunday morning. Sunday morning is just the start If you want to know where to go, the information counter can help you. They've got a little flyer that tells you about all the different classes. And then you try them out, right? Um, uh, You go to this one, you go to that one, and see which one fits you based on your needs. The fifth one we talked about last week is begin giving. I mean, you can give right here every week with an offering envelope. You can give through our Church Center app, or you can even give by text, 84321. If you text 84321 right now, It'll say, hey, where are you at? Uh, Based on your GPS and your phone, choose Southview Baptist Church. And if you haven't already set up a church center account like that, you set it up and you can give. Um, Text to give is for one-time gifts. If you want to set up recurring ones, you do it through the church center app. Pretty cool thing. Today, we're going to talk about start serving. That's our sixth one. And so you'll get more about that one in a minute. And next week, disciple others. That's lead, mentor, or share with others. So you've got your Bible open, and you were wondering when I was going to get there, but if you've been here the past few weeks, you know I'm reviewing each of these seven steps each time. But I want to ask you now, if you're able to stand, stand with me in the honor of reading God's Word, and we will read from Romans chapter 12. We're just going to get verses 1 through 8 at this point. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others." We consider these words, the first point on your outline and reflection of these scriptures is that we are transformed to serve. We are transformed to serve. Those first two verses there are probably the most famous verses of this passage of scripture. You've probably heard them before. And it starts out with therefore. And anytime you see a therefore, you have to ask, what is the therefore? Therefore, yes, thank you for playing along. It refers back not just to the last passage, but the entire epistle. If you're to read the book of Romans from beginning to end, and it's kind of a weighty read, you're going to need a little bit of time, but I would recommend you doing it, you will see chapters 1 through 11 of the book of Romans are theology. This is doctrine. This is the things we believe and why we believe them, right? So Paul is building his case theologically because he's a lawyer type, right? So he's writing these things and saying, here's what we believe. And there's a whole lot of meat in Romans 1 through 11. But then there's a switch that takes place right here, chapter 12, verse 1, where he transitions then to talk from theology in the first 11 chapters to the last chapters about practice. It's an ethical section. He's going to say, based on all the things we believe and based on all that we know, here is how we live. And this is what we do. So the therefore refers back to the entire book. Notice what he says. Therefore, I urge you, brothers. That's a call to decisive decision and action, exhort and courage. In view of God's mercies. Paul's saying, I told you about God's mercies in all the first 11 chapters. How he loves you and how he sent Jesus to save you. And because of all these things, we know about how much he loves us. This is how we're going to live. These last few chapters, 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16. So five different chapters, even though if you do the math, it looks like four. But if you count, it's five, right? You're supposed to live holy and pleasing. I don't know about you. That's some powerful motivation. I don't know about you. When you talk about holy and pleasing, I struggle to do that on my own. But it's in Jesus, right? Go on with that. This is your spiritual act of worship. Your Bible might say true and proper service or spiritual act of service. Remember what we say around here regularly, that worship isn't just what we do here for an hour and 20 minutes on Sunday morning. Worship is how you live your life, right? How you live as a transformed person, because of God's mercy, giving yourself over to Him, demonstrates that you are changed, that we've been transformed. Look at what it says in verse 2. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Colossians chapter 3 2, another book that Paul wrote, he says, Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. You know that feeling when somebody's trying to push you somewhere you don't go? Do you like it? I don't like it. I think my pride wells up in me, and I get a little mm, assertive about myself. And if you're trying to manipulate me and make me do something or say something I don't want, I don't like it at all. That's my human nature. You want to see my flesh come out, you poke on me a little bit, right? I don't know about you, but it's true with me. The world is always trying to conform us to its pattern. But what does Scripture say? Go back to verse 2. Do not conform by the renewing of your mind, but be transformed. By the renewing of your mind. Paul writes in Second Corinthians chapter four verse 18: What is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. That there is a world beyond the world that we see that is bigger, that is forever. And that's the world we're seeking to live by, that we would be transformed by spending time in God's Word, by spending time in prayer, by spending time in other spiritual disciplines so that we might be different. And then we'll be able to know His good and perfect and pleasing will. So that begs the question for us, how have I been transformed? How have you been transformed? Transformed. If somebody were to look at your life and you were to say, yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christ follower, I'm a member of Southview Baptist Church or Christ Place Church or whatever church you're a member of, how would people say that you were transformed? Did they see evidence of it in your life? And more so than what other people can see on the outside, what do you know on the inside? Are your thought patterns being transformed by spending time in the Word? or? the habits and disciplines of your life transformed by spending time in prayer and other spiritual disciplines? Is the life you're living different than those around you because Jesus is part of it? How have you been transformed? We move on to our next point on our outline. And that's actually three different verses, one of which I've just read so far. But I think this is the key to this entire passage, this entire chapter of Scripture. That's why I make a big deal out of this and pull it out of order, if you will. And that's that we must be humble to others. That, that's your blanks to fill in. We must be humble towards others. Now, let's go back and see where we see it in the Scripture, right? Keep in mind, Paul's building a lawyerly argument. He begins with his introduction of how we're going to be transformed. And then look where he immediately goes next. Verse 3. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you. In other words, I'm not saying this on my own. It is because God graced me with this knowledge. And therefore, he wants me to pass it on to you. I'm doing my job under God. He says, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought. Uh, oh, Okay, thanks, Paul. I mean, what kind of nerve has he got? He's assuming we think of ourselves more highly than we got? Hey, let's be honest here. It's church. Do you secretly think of yourself more highly than you ought? Sneak your hand up just a little. Come on. Okay, we have some honest people. The rest of you just lied. All right. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. But rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith given you. Now that last part, in accordance with the measure of faith given you, says to you that it's a process. That the pride that you struggle with, the self-esteem you struggle with, the self-confidence you struggle with, all the doubts and anxieties and the guilt that the devil tries to lay on you and try to get you to go astray, all those things, it's a process of redemption as you become more like Jesus by the faith God's given you in him. So if you struggle with the sayings, how do you solve it? Faith. You say, God, I need more of you and less of me. But don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Have sober judgment of yourself. So that's verse 3. Skip on down to verse 10. Verse 9 says, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. But listen to verse 10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love, honor one another above yourselves. Hey, it sounds like we heard that one already. Scripture memory verse of the month, right? We're to devote ourselves to others. We're to honor others. What does that say? You're to be humble. That you take the humble route because you're lifting others up. Now skip on down in that passage of Scripture to verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Well, he outright calls it out there. But be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. You see, throughout this passage of Scripture, in three different places, Paul is calling us to be humble in relation to others. When we are transformed, we should demonstrate that by our humility. Because when we are transformed, we are being filled up with Jesus. Therefore, we have the confidence that Jesus gives us, so we don't have to always fight for ourselves. We trust Him to take care of us. We can be humble towards others. If you want to know how God feels about humility and wisdom versus pride and foolishness, read the book of Proverbs, amen? Read the book of Proverbs. Every other verse is juxtaposing pride versus humility, wisdom versus foolishness. And they have that overlap of pride and humility, the sweet spot of openness or teachability of where God wants us to be so we can hear from him and we can hear from others and we can be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that our lives might be different. More like Jesus, less like our flesh. Sinful pride is destructive. Pride can ruin your life. Pride can ruin a church. Which leads us to the question there. Why should I be humble? Why should I be humble? well Let me give you something that I think maybe is tweet-worthy, quote-worthy. You can disagree with me, but I think you'd be wrong. Life is easier when you're humble. There, I said it. Life is easier when you're humble. Now, I'm not talking about letting people walk over you and take advantage of you. I'm talking about the fact that you have a meekness, a strength under control that is based on your faith in Jesus, that you can demonstrate that you are humble in the face of any circumstance, in the face of any other person, that you can be humble rather than prideful and arrogant and angry and controlling. Why? God says so. Why should I be humble? Because God says so. If you read your Bible, this is something I thought of just this morning when reflecting on this sermon. So forgive me that I didn't do this study yet. Uh, Maybe I can do a word search and that would help us. I want to know how many times the concept of humility is mentioned in the Bible. Well, obviously, you can do a word search on the words translated as humble in the Old Testament and the New Testament, or the words translated as pride, but there are other cognate words and synonym words as well. I would imagine it's hundreds, if not thousands of times in the Bible, God tells us as his followers, be humble. I don't know about you, if maybe you've done a study like that and you can save me the time, be humble. John MacArthur says of humility, lack of this foundational virtue causes many a Christian to stumble. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4 says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves, not looking out for your own interest, but looking out for the interest of others. Be humble. So our passage of Scripture tells us we're transformed to serve. Our passage of Scripture tells us that we're humble towards others. The third thing about our passage of Scripture is that we are gifted to serve. That we are gifted to serve. Look at verses 4 through 8. Just as each one of us has many, uh, one body with many members, they don't have all the same function. So in Christ, we are many form one body and we all belong to others. And then verse 6, 7, and 8 tells us about the different gifts we have. And based on time, I'm not going to summarize those gifts. That's another sermon. But your point is that we are gifted to serve, that God gave us the gifts we have in order to serve Him. If you want to find the three different lists of spiritual gifts in the Bible, it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, what we would call the motivational gifts. And then 1 uh, Romans chapter 12, the ones right here, the ministry gifts. And then you've got these. Uh, uh, gifts also in Ephesians chapter 4 and how these gifts are made manifest in the way we serve. So I had a question about service at Southview and I, I had to do a little digging and I got some help from Karen and Sam in the office and from all our ministry leaders. And that question was, how many roles do we have around here to fill? And how many people fill those roles? So here are your statistics if you want to write them down. Currently, Serving in an, at least a once-monthly ministry role here in Southview, we have 35 Awana volunteers. 35 in Awana. We have 30, uh, excuse me, 40 involved in children's ministry. That's nursery and Sunday school and everything involved with our children's ministry. We have 36 involved in the worship team. So that's the people you see on stage and the guys that sit back there. And these are all volunteers, right? We have 49 people in our welcome ministry, which is our greeters and ushers. Just to differentiate between the two, the folks that say hello to you when you come in the door are the greeters. The folks that give you a bulletin when you come into the sanctuary are ushers. And they might help you find a seat too, hence the name usher, right? And so uh, out there on the table, it's welcome ministry. We have... Six people on our church council that serve at least once monthly in their meetings and other things. We have eight volunteers in our student ministry that are down there all the time with Pastor David leading our students. We have 17 adults that are teaching Sunday school right now, adult Sunday school. Uh, remember, children's Sunday school, we counted that in with a total children's ministry. Nine deacons. So that is 200 unique volunteer roles. Okay. Okay. You're looking around, you're going, hey, Pastor Aaron, there's only about 230 people in here right now. Well, maybe 210 in the sanctuary and another 20 back in the nursery right now in that children's ministry. So how does that break out? Well, there are 60 people by my count that serve in one role in our church which is great. They have one job and they're doing it and they're doing it well, whether that's in the welcome ministry or a Sunday school teacher or something like that. There are 48 people in our church that have two different roles. Maybe, you know, they serve in welcome ministry once a month, but they also teach Sunday school every week. We have nine people that have three different roles. Now, most of these are guys that are a deacon, a Sunday school teacher, or in some other ministry, but there are ladies that do these sort of things as well because they're in worship ministry and children's ministry and wanna ministry. And we have two people in our church that have four different roles. Both of them are deacons, and then they also teach Sunday school, and then they have some other ministry and another ministry on top of that. So there are 114 unique individuals serving in those 200 roles. When you think about the fact that we have 238 adult members, that means that 45% of Southview members serve in at least a once-monthly volunteer ministry role. So you're going, oh, big deal, Pastor Aaron. It is a big deal. I think it's great. I was like, wow, half of the people in our church are doing something for our church in our church every month. But then I went, but we still have some spaces to fill. How do we do that? Well, that's why today we're calling you to start serving. You see on the table right there, there's this one in pink that says nursery ministry. There's weekly and occasional volunteer needed there. Uh, next to that right there in blue is children's ministry. We need some Sunday school teachers to volunteer as well as we need some substitute Sunday school teachers for our children's ministry. Then down towards the middle here in the, what do you call that, goldenrod colored sheet is our wanna ministry. They need people that volunteer every week, like a Cub director and listeners and leaders, but we also need people on April 24th to help man the games for the Iwana Carnival and tear down. So like, you're like, I can't do it every week, but I can give a few hours one day. Sign up at the Iwana ministry today. Then right over here by the information counter, aptly chosen, we put the, where the welcome, the praise team, and baptism. We need folks that uh, we have all kinds of holes for people to serve to meet folks at the door. Tell them good morning, welcome, hand them a bulletin. It's an easy job, 15 minutes a month. You can do that. Praise team, if you sing or think you can sing, Myra would like to talk to you. Um, And so it doesn't matter what part you are, but sign up over there on the yellow table thing. And then we need folks to help with baptism. Carl and Nancy, by extension, and Dana are always back there helping us with baptism. We need some other people to learn how to do that. And then you move to things that are outside of our church. Over here, behind the sound booth in green, is McPhee. McPhee Elementary still needs folks to help read with kids. And then Campus Life Ministry. I heard from uh, um, Matt Schulte there this week. They have the tabernacle experience coming, and they need volunteers to help set up the tabernacle, help tear down the tabernacle. It's in June. It's around our Vacation Bible School time. But also to volunteer there, and there's the specific dates and times there. So you could do that. And then, of course, we have Benin here and her husband, Cody, to talk about People City Mission and all the things they've got to do there. And so that's right outside that door is where you'll find her. And she'll actually be standing there to visit with you more about People City Mission. So some of these you can sign up for one here, one here, one here, because these are once a month things or once, one time things. Like, yeah, I can give a little time on April the 24th to help out with, um, you know, Awana Carnival. Sign up for that, and then, you know, I need to do something outside of Southview. I'm going to go talk to Benin about what I could do at uh, People City Mission one time or on a regular basis. And then there's one I didn't even fill out a blank for, and that's Bob Rung. Bob, raise your hand at everybody. That's Bob right back there in the middle. Bob's a big old lovable teddy bear. You're always better if you hang out with Bob. you got to love Bob. But Bob has started Fellowship of Christian Athletes at Lakeview Elementary School as a way to be able to share the gospel with his kids in a CLC after-school program. And he's seeing boys and girls coming to faith in Christ, but he needs some help. Maybe you'd say, hey, during the school year, I could give an hour or two a week to help out Bob and to love some boys and girls in Jesus' name at Lakeview. So talk to Bob directly. So I don't have a sign-up sheet for Bob. you got Bob's smiling face right there. All these other things, we need multiple people in these positions. And as you consider how you're gifted to serve... You can try one of these out. So when you put your name on one of these sheets, you're not committing. You're just saying, I'm interested to learn more, okay? All you're saying is, yeah, I'd like to talk to the leader of this ministry. So if you put your name down for praise team, Myra's going to give you a call and say, hey, what experience have you had in the past? And you want to try something out? And yeah, let's make a plan to meet and, you know, that sort of thing. You put your name down for Awana ministry, Sandy's going to give you a call. Uh, how do you think you might want to serve if you served in children's ministry? You're not committed. You're just saying you want to learn more. It's pretty cool, all these opportunities we have before us. And it helps us answer the question on your outline, how have I been gifted? You are uniquely you. There is no one else that has the exact shape that you do. Your spiritual gifts, your heart, your abilities, your personality, your experience, S-H-A-P-E. And God made you to serve Him. You can serve Him in this church. You can serve Him outside of this church. But serve Him. And serve Him somewhere. Don't sit and do nothing. Don't sit, soak and sour. Don't be a pewpercher. And that's all you do. You come here on Sunday morning and you critique what goes on inside these walls. Serve. God made you to serve. We're transformed to serve. We're humbled to others. And we're gifted to serve. Your fourth point on your outline. We belong to others. We belong to others. Now, I want you to look at the four major points I've had you fill in the blanks on. Transformed to serve. Humble to others. Gifted to serve. We belong to others. And look at the last word in each of those sentences you filled out. Serve others. Serve others. When I wrote that outline, I looked back on it and I said, it says serve others twice. That's pretty cool. Serve others. Serve others. Serve others. Because when it comes to how God has wired us and He put us in relationship with Him, He put us in relationship with Him to demonstrate the relationship He wants us to have with others. That we serve others. Look at verse 5. Romans chapter 12, verse 5. So in Christ we who are many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. Serve others others. Lone ranger Christianity is a contradiction in terms. God made us for one another. God gifted us to serve one another. God created us and calls us to love one another. And we do that in Christ. The question we have to ask is why are we important to one another? Why are we important to one another? Well, because God made us that way. He called us together as a church family to complement one another, to complete one another. We need one another. We cannot do all that we're called to do without one another. We're not intended to exist alone. God created us for relationships. The fifth point on your outline says that knowing that I'm called to serve others... Which of these instructions in verses 9 through 21 do I need to practice more? This is going to be homework. Go home and read back through this and ask which of these 20 plus instructions, depending on how you count them as individuals, positive and negative, or if you make it the same thing, you need to do. Listen to what it says. Love must be sincere. Do you need to be more sincere in your love? Hate what is evil. Do you need to hate what is evil? Cling to what is good. You see where I'm going? I'm going to stop answering with the questions or interrupting, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, honor one another above yourselves, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving in the Lord, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share with God's people who are in need, practice hospitality, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, live in harmony with one another, do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position, do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome. And these many instructions Paul gives one after the other in the end of this chapter. And it challenges our thinking. Even in hearing them quickly, we think about how we have failed and how our sinfulness and our selfishness causes us. So God, I pray that as you've called us to serve you and you've given us grace and transformed us, that we would be filled with your love. And filled with your joy. And we choose to change our hearts. And even change our commitment. So, God if there's anyone here. Who needs to trust Jesus. As their personal Savior and Lord. I pray that as we stand to sing. They'd come talk to me. Anyone here that needs to commit their life. To be a member of this church. And they want to make that known publicly. They'd come down and talk to me. And we can introduce them to the church. Whatever the need is, Father, we pray. Amen.